All right, we are recording. So, hello, this is Valerie, and today um, I am with. Hello, it is once again Dylan Robinson. Hello, all you people that are uh, kindly listening to the podcast again. Yes, and today we will be talking about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. And one one that I am very excited to talk about because uh um. Uh, quality of the movie aside, I think we could just uh, start with how good the theatrical release poster looks for this movie. It looks great. Fantastic. I think it's actually just about the best of the prequel trilogy, if you think about it. Because sure, we get the shadow of Darth Maul over the first episode, mm-hmm. um, kind of casting over all the characters we're introduced to throughout that film even jar jar is featured (laughs) within there but i i think it's actually uh quite indicative of what we get in episode two with how it's shown in the poster uh with padme and uh, anakin's romance and obi-wan going on his little detective quest i know (laughs) side quest yeah the little side quest as the subplot in that movie and we still get R2 and C3PO in every single one actually except the episode 3 out of the prequel trilogy if you look on these posters here um yeah i think uh it's actually really neat in how it shows uh everything that we're going to be encountering in such a haphazard movie yeah i just think it's really funny that like Anakin and Padme are like front and center and Obi-Wan literally discovers the clones which is kind of the base of the plot for kind of episode three and then the clone wars movies and the clone wars series but he's just like on anakin's shoulder kind of small yeah that is yeah this is funny to point out how he's kind of just off to the side and i guess he is in episode one as well in episode three he's kind of given equal space with padme and anakin Mm -hmm. as they kind of sit below the the ominous darth vader helmet uh hoisted above him like that um but yeah it's interesting with uh, obi-wan in this movie because he's very crucial to the plot but he's the poster doesn't make it appear to be that uh, i mean more so than phantom menace at least mm-hmm. have you seen the picture going back to i don't know what poster it was okay so the phantom menace movie poster not the one for the theatrical release but the one where it has like little anakin and his shadow is darth vader have you seen that one let me check i could try to send it to you but if i would have been in that era yeah yeah and seen that here i would have lost my shit i would have been like this is the best poster yeah it's against their uh home over on uh uh, what is that place called again tatooine Mm mm-hmm yeah, yeah, it's kind of against the little uh, little settlement that they have there, the dome. Yeah, that's actually pretty crazy. I love how simple it is, but it carries just so much. Yeah, so much weight and so much emotion to it, because you know that this little kid is destined to become what we uh, find <laughs> yeah. out in just the original trilogy there. Yeah, the galaxy's biggest pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Also the biggest hunk of the galaxy, let's be real. Oh, yeah. What am I thinking? Take that back. (laughs) That goes first, and then... (laughs) Of course, as always. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just think the uh, movie poster was a good jumping-off point into the meat of Episode 2, which is 
kind of very muddied and obviously gets the reception that it does in the fandom because of how messy everything is in this movie. It's probably just just throwing it out there ahead of time. It's probably my least favorite in the entire series. Actually, maybe a little above episode 9, but we'll we'll save that for when we mm-hmm. get to it. Um I think this plot is just so strange and you just have this Obi-Wan detective subplot going on while Anakin gets this whole love montage with Padme going <laughs> on and I I think it's very uh sincere at least and it's painted well. Um, and we get, of course, the legendary Jango Fett, who will later be used in the infamous Lego Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we get cool things with the Tusken Raiders and his and Anakin's mother and Watto as well. And I think there's a lot of cool elements to this movie. It's just in how they're pulled together. I think that's where the uh, clutter starts to occur. I agree. I mean, <clears throat> I would definitely say it's a little cluttered but then it's so strange because it also sets up so much of the foundation for like episode three like the clone war series two and it's just like i kind of forget that this is like what was happening before like such a pivotal point like the battle in the middle or the end of the movie the battle of geonosis like that was like the first battle and like the clone wars and i'm like oh yeah i guess that did happen in episode two kind of forgot about that yeah you're definitely right it's kind of weird to think about this trilogy in the sense that it was all good ideas mapped out from the start just not in terms of execution of course and that's what we always hear about this trilogy and that George Lucas just went on a tear and had just unchecked power in how he was able to see the resolution to all his crazy ideas in his head. And uh, it's cool in in that the original or the prequel trilogy, we see a lot of good ideas and how it all mapped out over the course of a narrative that we Mm -hmm. ended up seeing and in that one part couldn't work without the other you know, albeit if you leave apart, those individual parts could have been better on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, we still couldn't really have episode three without having episode two. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I... interesting to, to see that that kind of uh, paradox here and that sure they could have been filmed better, but the, the meat of what we got out of it we wouldn't have the episode three that we so adore today without the kind of setup that you mentioned coming off of episode two, especially with the Geonosis battle, Count Dooku, and especially with the uh, um, Padme love arc that went on. Yeah, I like what you said. Like, all these parts work together, like, to make the whole, but there's definitely some movies that are kind of more just kind of the parts and and can't really like stand alone like this movie is definitely like kind of for plot furtheration and i personal opinion i think episode three can stand alone in its own just like great moviness compared to this one but it does set up like the good foundation for it so it definitely is doing its part in the whole series of just contributing yeah it's it's weird when you mentioned that in that uh this is the bridging movie, of course. Yes, as that's any, a word. Uh, yeah, as any sort of episode two or 
sequel is to the start of a trilogy in a way is that it kind of has to expose the ideas that were in play in the first film of a trilogy and kind of give them more solid ground to work with as in the third movie is the conclusion to all those themes that occur within the second movie and given more room to breathe Mm -hmm. but it's strange because usually a lot of the time in a trilogy the second movie ends up being my favorite as in something like austin powers or um even in games with like crash bandicoot 2 (laughs) (laughs) to throw something against the wall here um uh i think it's interesting that the second work in a given trilogy usually capitalizes on the strengths of the first one or at least it is meant to in theory it's just that with episode two we don't really get that because i think phantom menace is the stronger film just because it had the (laughs) yeah it, it had the virtue of establishing so much that we were filling in the blanks of at the time whereas episode two felt very redundant until the very end with the fight against dooku Yeah, I was on, as I was watching, I kind of, I mean, the whole prequels kind of gets, like, shit on for dialogue, but the sass and, like, teenage angst that Anakin just, like, portrays, I'm like, you know what? I don't think he's very whiny. Like, I love his little, like, his, in the beginning, they're chasing the, um, that bounty hunter who like sent the snails through the window to like attack Padme and he's doing like these crazy um stunts in the I don't know what the spaceship but it's like not a spaceship because they're on like within the atmosphere so I don't know if they're just like that's their version of cars or shuttle maybe it's a shuttle with their own little like speeder and it's just like and he's just flying and Obi-Wan's just like whoa like your flying's kind of crazy. We're gonna die. Anakin's like, nah, like I got this. And then like they catch him or the bounty hunter, but the whole like thing of Obi Wan just going and he's like trying to like tame Anakin and Anakin's like, nah, I'm gonna do this my way. And he does, which I feel like I don't know adds to his development that he really does do things in his own way. I agree. I, you know, I think what you brought up about the dialogue there and how a lot of people give a shit for not being cohesive in characterization that that complements the overall narrative that we get in the prequel trilogy and how it leads to Darth Vader. I think Hayden Christensen in some weird abstract way almost contributes to this obscure sense of mm-hmm. what the character <laughs> means to to all of us like Obviously, we would have never pictured such an angsty Anakin that ended up turning into Darth Vader, but in some retrospective way, in hindsight, it it comes off better to us that Anakin was portrayed in the way he was because it makes it more believable that he was this little shit that mm-hmm. got that got manipulated enough into thinking that evil is the greatest force in the universe even if it if it means that you could uh, assure love and, and try to try to work that out as he is manipulated into thinking with padme and uh, sidious and all that stuff uh as we'll get to in episode three um i i think it's it's kind of it's kind of cool looking back that anakin's like early 2000s late 90s sort of way of of 
exposing this character's inner demons almost <laughs> resonates more with us now, even through its cringe or whatever we might tell it as bad writing or bad characterization. It almost just connects more in in, in some weird way now. Yeah, um, there was something I thought, like his manipulation, like how he was manipulated is just insane because I feel like he was kind of vulnerable to that because I feel like all Anakin, like, besides, like, his love of Padme and, like, he would do anything for her, but he really, I think, just really wanted to be, like, powerful in the sense that he was literally just found on Tatooine and this Jedi guy is like, you know what? You're the chosen one and I believe you're the chosen one. And he's kind of, like, been grown up in the temple, kind of just believing, like, uh... I'm the chosen one, so I feel like whatever I do is, like, validated in the fact that people think he's the chosen one. And so I think Palpatine, Darth Sidious, whatever you want to call him, just really preyed on the fact that, like, he was able to present this opportunity to Anakin to, like, I can show you how to be, like, more powerful than, like, you already are kind of a thing, proposition. Oh yeah, for sure. I that that's a super um I guess resonating point you brought up there and how that Anakin kind of was was portrayed to us in this way that resonates with us more now because of how he was shown to act within this arc of love. That I think the prequel trilogy kind of like really taps into in that Anakin is introduced, but episode two shows his stuff with Padme, but also simultaneously his mom. Mm, yeah. And I think that's something that's overlooked a lot and that leads to his downfall in episode three that makes it all the more tragic. And that his mom was a very motivating f- force in all of it because of her essential enslavement to Watto yeah. and all that <laughs> stuff and uh, and how she dies in his arms at the Tuscan Raider camp and how he slaughters every last one of them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, kind of weird to see that that is kind of overlooked a lot. And um, it contributes to a lot of his uh, progression in episode three. Yeah. I, I'm going to be honest. I did overlook the mom portion until you brought it up. And the first thought is not that, oh yeah, like, that's a good, interesting point, like, plot-wise, and I was literally just thinking, like, I don't know the exact word for word for the line, but it's just, like, the memes, the memes of the prequels of, like, it wasn't just the men, but the women and children, too, when he's telling Padme, and and Padme's still like, you know what, I love you, we can get through this, no deal breakers. Yeah, Padme was ride or die. She was a ride or die, I love it. She was a baddie, She, she was able to get with the idea of of sadistic murder (laughs) revenge yeah uh, and that's why we stand her i think because she was willing to work through all the mental issues just to get at the core of what she truly loved and sought in a person yeah and she also was i think just a strong character like senator queen of naboo at 14 like she is winning that's unheard of yeah she is really the gold standard all that makeup too oh the outfit changes she she was the whole package anakin was lucky to have her 
<laughs> don't even get me started. Right. <laughs> it's like, don't. <laughs> just do not. Yeah, so it was really sweet to just see them spend time on Naboo because it is like, this was, I believe, like the beginning of their relationship. So, oh, was it at the end of this one where they got married? I believe so, because going into episode three, it's already kind of established that everything happens. Because the starting scene in episode three is when they're going into that kind of uh, imperial ship. Right. Right. Okay, yeah. So this is like, I remember when they're, they get captured somehow. They're on Geonosis, and they're like on that little chariot. And she, I think this is the turning point where she agrees to just like go full in on their relationship because I know she was hesitant before because she didn't want to live a lie because Jedi aren't supposed to have attachments she's a senator and all that but I think that was the turning point where she was like you know what and they're like kissing as they're like being like brought out and I was just like this is all right this I forgive the whole movie for this scene right here you know, it, it really brought up the score for all of us, I'm pretty sure. From that 1 out of 10 to 2 out of 10, at least. Mm-hmm. And then just seeing Mace Windu just totally decapitate Boba Fett's dad. Yeah, and that's the other but... thing I was going to ask you is, not only Mace Windu, but we got Jango Fett, and we also got Christopher Lee, who portrayed Dracula as Count Dooku. And I think that's a lot of new characters to grasp and, and their enduring legacy over the course of the series and how we ended up seeing them playable in something like Star Wars Battlefront. I think it, it kind of speaks to how good the casting was for a lot of these characters, even as tragic as mm-hmm. Jango Fett's death is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it added to like Boba Fett's kind of... He, he gets a little character arc in Clone Wars that gets discussed. I just like how these ideas are expanded in kind of not the main movies because these are good like ideas and they are kind of fleshed out more in the series which is really great absolutely yeah i think uh that's one good thing about the prequel trilogy is it introduced so many gaps and so many wishes of fulfillment that we could then prey upon in the expanded universe and just see all these different things come to fruition that we would have never guessed. And I, that's one thing I really appreciate the prequel trilogy for is how it, it allowed for all of this flourishing fan content in a way mm, and yeah. thinking about the old Republic and thinking about everything that came before the original trilogy. Yeah. There's a lot of good, um, introductions being made i had a question um what do you think about tatooine as like a planet in its kind of position in the whole series and it's like recurring Mm -hmm. appearances right yeah because like i feel like in each kind of series like the prequels kind of where we're introduced to anakin's um home planet then in the originals it's luke's home planet and then uh, on the sequels that's where ray buries the lightsabers i mean we can just focus on the prequel portion we can just skip the sequel aspect i'm sure we'll come back to it eventually but i think tatooine as it's portrayed and shown to us in the prequel trilogy 
I really adore how it's just so barren and very bizarre like in terms of uh when you actually get to the bazaar the market mm. at where everything is being filmed uh for the Watto stuff and for when Obi-Wan comes there with uh Qui-Gon Jinn in episode 1. Uh and I really like when Darth Maul is just staring amongst the waste <laughs> yeah. as in he's going to track down Anakin and kill this boy and everything and uh uh yeah I, I just i really love how it's shown to us because at, at the beginning of episode four of course where we catch a glimpse of it for the first however long of the movie maybe like the first half hour and we get a lot of world building through the uh jawas and all the uh the droids and and uh uncle owen's farm and all that stuff and i don't know I, i'm just a sucker for deserts as well and i love that the desert even though it's so easily readable as a metaphor for their isolation in the universe and their lack of drive and stuff. And then all of a sudden this huge life altering or alterating thing comes in the form of them becoming Jedi's and stuff comes about. But I, I love the desert because it's such like a banal and barren landscape that ideas and thoughts of grandeur and like, getting out of it and like working towards something better can form and that's exactly what happens for both luke and anakin skywalker and even ray on uh uh jaku i think mm -hmm. it's called yeah and uh i i really love how um the deserts are utilized as this place of kind of meditation and and working towards something that might not be within your conceivable bounds right away and and eventually extracting that potential out of oneself uh whether we see it in any of the trilogies of course it's most effective in the original trilogy but i love how anakin is kind of just like this is the life he's used to out there as a little kid and uh we see it through the pod racing and stuff memes aside um I love how it ends up coming into its own thing uh, in the later films, especially with episode three and how he's pretty much been alienated all his life into finding uh, some solace in his origins, you know, and uh, eventually, of course, it gets the better of him and not really ever having a life and having that exposure to love and everything, because even though he loved his mom, it wasn't in the same way as he loved Padme. Um, so when all of that is finally taken from him, it's just like, damn, <laughs> was the desert i i was raised in worth it at all and so i love that that question is forever palpable throughout the series yeah it's i don't know planets are more than just like planets like i love that there's like deeper kind of meaning in everything and it's just like so interesting just to discuss like everyone's like ideas on like and how they respond because some people are literally just like tattooing just like a desert like what more and i'm like well okay if that's what you think <laughs> i'm not gonna blame you i mean it is kind of deserty yeah i wish there was a little more analysis given to it because of course i maybe there isn't much analysis given to it because it's so easily readable as like this is a place where hopes and dreams die and you got to get off this this barren landscape to even uh, make anything out of yourself and so maybe that's why people can discount it because the metaphor is so tangible it's not as hidden or subtextual as later stuff is so i, I don't know but i i really adore tattooing and i love uh being able to run run through it in any of its uh 
imaginative sort of uh, unveilings to us, whether it's through games or the movies. Like I love in just Star Wars Battlefront being able to play on the Katina level or anything. Yeah, um, speaking, I ordered Squadrons today. Oh, did you really? Yeah, when I got off school, I was like, oh, I should go order it. So I ordered it. So I'm picking it up at Target tomorrow. Are you so serious? I can play on Sunday. Xbox One? Mm-hmm. And I told Let's my brother, go. I was like, because he, it's his Xbox and it's in his room. And I was like, just to let you know, like I bought my own personal game. So I will be in your room. Yeah, you're just going to be invading his uh, Fortress of Solitude, huh? Mm-hmm. I don't even care. Well, that would be perfect. I know. I, I'm glad to hear your thoughts. I mean, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Yeah, on. for sure. I'm going to let you know. I'm so excited to figure out how to play to begin with. And I just, can imagine. I'm planning on killing the game. Like, I'm so stoked. Dude, it's going to be great. I hope that you have a blast with it, you know, especially because... Uh, I don't know what eras you get to play through with it. I don't know if it's like the uh, um, Old Republic or anything like that, or if it's just the uh, um, sequel trilogy stuff, but I hope it's going to be cool. I hope so too. I um, I just went off that because I just remember the Cantina part on Lego Star Wars in like that game. And I was like, games hold such like a special place. No, yeah, they really do because they give you this sense of interaction in a universe you never deemed possible. Mm-hmm. Like, like I love how you're able to explore the confines of a, of this place that you're only ever experiencing through camera angles and editing and all this stuff. And I love that the games give you a way to inhabit these spaces and kind of breathe life into realms you never once deemed possible yeah and you get to play through it you get to experience it absolutely uh, i mean lego stars in general is just awesome for that it is um did, did we want to take a pause yeah yeah let, let, let's come back in a second that we'll uh refresh our brains here uh some blue milk perhaps right yes quick little blue milk break okay that's what i thought Okay, so welcome back from our little pause, little break in how things were going. And now um, now that we're back, um, me and Dylan feel that from this point on, we are just going to go straight into episode, episode two, open-ended questions, and just discuss this movie specifically. Yeah, so what I was going to propose here is what do we all think of the relative omission of Jar Jar in this movie. Do you think it was kind of a calculated response to such the vitriolic fan backlash that we got in episode one? Do you think George Lucas kind of tempered our expectations with episode one so that by the time episode two came around that Jar Jar didn't have such a big role in it? Even though he kind of does through the subtextual elements of what he grants Palpatine through the uh, emergency powers that he gains in this film, but he still doesn't have a big speaking role that we were used to coming off of uh, Phantom Menace, and uh, I was just wondering, like, do you think George Lucas himself was cognizant of of such the zeitgeist mm-hmm. at the time where, where everyone kind of hated him? I mean... 
I think he was aware of it, but I also think that he wouldn't really necessarily change anything. Like, if people didn't like Jar Jar, I feel like he'd be the type to be like, okay, and? Like, it's my, (laughs) this is my movies. Um, I do think, though, that because he had such a big part in Phantom Menace, he was already introduced, and there's a lot of new characters being introduced in episode two, so I think he gave some spotlight on them instead of Jar Jar, just because we already had some background information with him from the first episode. Okay, yeah, I I could see that. I think, uh... You're right, in the sense that he was given his time of day in episode one, that by the time we get to episode two with people like Mace Windu, Jango Fett, and Count Dooku being introduced, I think they maybe just gave Jar Jar a smaller role because of his importance in the first film, that we didn't really need to see so much of him in the second film because it was already established that he had a seat on the council, the galactic mm-hmm. council and everything. And uh, um, maybe us as an audience didn't really need to be cognizant enough of his position as we were before. Yeah. And I also think that his kind of purpose was still, um, was still able to be done by grant the granting of emergency powers to, Palpatine so like that was his role and we still got kind of important plot information out of it but it was just in a smaller kind of role I think just out of like courtesy to the new characters like more Mace Windu, Count Dooku and everyone especially Jango Fett. Oh yeah I agree I think um since <laughs> since uh Jar Jar's kind of backlash wasn't as uh, noted probably back in the day, especially before the internet's prominence as it is today. Um, I think that um, it really wasn't much of a a point of focus for him. So I don't think it was necessarily in retaliation. Yeah. Uh, I think it was more so just a calculated move of even as insane as the plots get in the prequel trilogy, I think George Lucas was made aware made aware of of where he was trying to go with this trilogy and i don't think he really made it a point to try and shove jar jar into every <laughs> single film because yeah. we already kind of had that uh in a traveling sort of companion with r2 and c3po who shows up in all three trilogies anyway so maybe jar jar was already served his purpose when it came to the phantom menace and uh yeah, I don't think it was anything with George Lucas, like, kind of siding with the fans in a way. I think it was more so just, even with the years gap between the films and how they came out, I think it was more so just like, all right, he served his purpose. We got the plot rolling in the way we wanted to, and now this snowball is just continually rolling down the hill. Yeah, he got the snowball rolling. I think that's what's important. I really don't think he, George Lucas, was just like, uh like edited kind of anything i feel like what in the capacity jar jar was in in the second episode has been kind of lucas's original idea i agree i don't think he would change anything based on reviews or backlash or anything definitely for sure and now i was gonna ask you yes (laughs) what were we gonna ask What, what do you think particularly of the I hate sand 
line in the film? I I don't know because I haven't seen it recently and I don't remember kind of like the capacity of the context and I just don't to me right now I'm just thinking like Padme is just like asking questions like trying to talk to like her Jedi protector who she met 10 years ago and he was a little boy and now he's like a teenager and I think it's just Anakin's kind of awkward flirting maybe without realizing he's just trying to like flirt the whole kind of awkwardness kind of I love it like I couldn't have asked for a better scene with that yeah I I definitely uh see eye to eye with that I think that thanks to the established awkwardness between the two leading up to that scene and the way it was handled, I feel we couldn't have asked for anything that was really better than what we got. I mean, sure, you could cite it for being like poorly written and not in line with Anakin's sort of toxic and uh, overwhelming nature at times, but I think for like the edginess of it all, it kind of <laughs> struck a chord in in the zeitgeist of what everyone was feeling at times where it's you're trying to explain yourself on how you feel internally but you can't grasp the words that you're really trying to present to the other person so it comes out strange and Mm so not only to padme does it strike her as this guy is is totally weird uh it also hits us as an audience as wow this this (laughs) this man is very poorly spoken and could do so much better with his wording but we still kind of get the essence of what he's getting at there yeah it just reminds me of like awkward like kind of first crushes like discussing and like kind of middle school high school early high school of just like you're going out with someone you like and you're just like trying to talk and you're just like you don't want those awkward silences and so you're just gonna be like oh the beach. I don't like the beach. <laughs> I don't know. Like the equivalent of sand. I actually think there was, um, I went to the beach with one of my friends and this was like before my Star Wars days. I just, after I was watching Star Wars, I like put two and two together where like we would go to the beach and he's like, I don't like sand. And I'm like, why don't I like the sand? Why don't you like the beach? Like the beach is awesome. He's like, it's, qu-. and he literally like quoted the movie and he probably in that moment was like, she's not getting it. Cause I was like, um what's wrong with the beach but like we live in southern california like how are you how are you not gonna go to the beach and now oh sorry go ahead no no i was just saying and now i get it and i just it just makes me want to reach out and be like i'm so sorry for that missed opportunity that you had that i just wasn't picking up on yeah that you wow i i guess uh were you knowledgeable of the movies by that point i was not so i mean okay i mean he didn't know that he probably thought i mean I don't know what he was thinking, but he was just trying to think that you were a prequel trilogy Stanny, and that's okay. That's safe for a lot of people to assume. Yeah, I wish I was at that point. I would have totally jumped on that joke and like continued with it. Instead, I was just like, "You're kind of weird." <laughs> I think you guys would have potentially seen a flourishing relationship. That would have saved. Line. That would have saved the relationship. We would be together right now if it wasn't. <laughs> For wow, that. P- potentially even married in just the way Anakin <laughs> would have dreamed. Yeah. So, Jacob, if you're listening, I get the joke now. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Listen to us, Jacob. I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> For my lack of knowledge that I couldn't have helped, really. 
but yeah, I was gonna go off the um the part you mentioned about how it kind of captures that essence of weird teenage um revelations of how we're feeling where that you don't you don't necessarily know how to put it into words but you're also simultaneously trying to fill that dead space where no conversation is going on and i feel like there couldn't have been a better way to convey that within the films themselves than just having anakin look like a complete dork in front of this (laughs) in front of this royal queen that she's royalty she is royal. She is untouched by the serfdom below her. And here and, he thinks I don't like sand is going to win her over. Yeah, and here he thinks the particulars of granulated sand are going to are going to completely wash over her and get hearts strung strung <laughs> over her eyes in a way and uh yeah i don't know i i just really appreciate that line even though it's a total meme at this point um i i like how even poorly written pieces of of script writing or literature in a sense kind of convey more than what we would originally think would resonate with us you know like there's it goes beyond that uncanny valley where it kind of just strikes so true to how we are as humans where it's kind of just like yeah it sounds cringe but but it relates in a way oh yeah he probably wrote that thinking like whatever this is just filler and everyone just jumped on it for like their own reasons but it's definitely a memorable line for sure Anything else we could uh, <laughs> comment upon here? Um, I think I've said all I needed to say on that line. I just really think it as much as like the memeness of it. If you want to think about it deeper, kind of, it is just like that awkward. Because like Padme was older. Like the last time she saw Anakin, he was I don't know nine. I believe so. Yeah, Padme was kind of like preying upon that boy from the start. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay, tell me how in Phantom Menace he's like, are you an angel? And like, I thought that was kind of smooth. Like, oh, like the space <laughs> pilots talk about angels and like, you're so pretty at nine. And then here he is 10 years later going, sand. You know, that that is such an interesting parallel because it seemed like he was almost more in tune with what the heart wanted when he was nine years old than what he ended up becoming when he was, like, what was he, probably around, like, 17 or 18 mm-hmm. or something in Attack of the Clones. And, uh, yeah, it kind of seemed like he was more of a heartthrob in his origin story than he was <laughs> later on. <laughs> it seemed like he lost uh, some touch there for sure. But, uh, yeah, asking if she was an angel, sure, it's a generic line, but but is it really generic when we're evaluating the the royalty presented before him i don't think so i think it was really meaningful i think so too and uh just kind of kind of watering it down to sand i (laughs) guess we could look at it look at that as a downgrade in a sense i mean obviously he was talking about tatooine and his imprisonment there and everything and how that correlates to his fostering love with padme um but yeah Comparing uh, the, their entire relationship to that of Sand, uh, yeah, it's a weird move 
by him, especially for how calm and collected and, and suave little boy Anakin is when mm-hmm. it comes to flirting with the ladies. Yeah, he had he had the game he really all those had years the game ago. From the outset. Yeah, Tatooine lends a certain property to these kids. I'd say so. <laughs> um, now going off on an entirely different subject for attractive men Let's in do series. It. Christopher Lee as oh, Count Dooku. Yeah. Do you think that Count Dooku's appearance in episode two contributed all that much to what occurs in episode three like let's say we had episode three in a vacuum where anakin executes him (laughs) very unjustly at the start of the movie within the first 15 minutes do you think that scene would have been as profound as it is with that do it sort of thing that occurred without his appearance in episode two at the end with yoda's fight against him um i think his appearance in episode so two definitely lends itself to amplify what happens in episode three. I think if it if episode three did happen in just a vacuum, I'm like, dang, like why is he cutting off this guy's head with two lightsabers? I don't know. I think he Dooku had a gr- um an interesting kind of arc between the two movies and in the Clone Wars, but just talking within the main movies, I would say. I mean. He did, like, warn them, didn't he? Saying that, like, there's a Darth Lord running everything. And they're like, nah, we would have sensed it. (laughs) And they didn't. (laughs) When does that come about? Is that the third movie about Darth Plagueis? Um, when Dooku tells them. Oh, never mind. Sorry, I'm thinking about a totally different thing. Oh. No, it's fine. It's fine. What do you think of? <laughs> I, I was just thinking of the whole Darth Plagueis the Wise story. Oh, that, uh, yeah. Palpatine tells Anakin. I think that comes in episode three. Yeah, I think so. Um, we'll, we'll get to that, of course. Yeah, but what would, what, what would you think? Or what do you um, think? No, yeah, I definitely think that Dooku's appearance in the second movie uh, lends itself to that kind of elevated scene that we get in episode three where his head just gets lobbed off like that. Um, I feel like without him showing up in episode two, it would have just kind of diluted the stakes that are present in episode three. And of course, at no point in episode three are we wondering, oh my God, will Anakin ever get severely disfigured in this, in this very moment? It's like, of course we, we know, uh, what ends up coming out of Anakin because of Darth Vader's appearance in the original trilogy and it being a prequel and all, but there's just such a, a palpable tension about that scene in episode three where his head gets cut off. But even before we get to that, with just the fight at the end of episode two, uh, with, uh, Yoda distracting Dooku, uh, and, and his force powers and all that stuff, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, I agree. I Dooku has been an interesting character, in my opinion. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really remember much about him. <laughs> but I just remember watching, I'm like, who is this guy, and why is he a count? Yeah, you know, I was wondering the same thing. I was wondering if that was just to give him a cool name or not. Yeah, and I think it was... I've heard, I don't know if it was in the movie or if it was the Clone Wars, but that... Dooku was like primarily um taught by Yoda. Oh, and so really? people kind of 
We're like, Yoda, what happened to like your apprentice? Like he left the order. It's now a dark sider. I don't know. I kind of wish they explained that a little more. I must like, maybe they did. And I'm just not remembering, but I remember Dooku just like was involved in the Jedi. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if uh, anything of that was commented upon in the uh, mainline series, maybe in the extended universe, of course. Yeah. Oh, is it Dooku who Mace Windu was talking about was like, oh, he's just a politician. He do- he doesn't like engage. Or yeah, I, I think they were considering so. him for Ad- Padme's assassin, yeah, which he is, like right? That. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's what his ultimate duty was. Yeah. So once again, Mace Windu needs to get with it. Yeah. Yeah. He- but even then, as we'll see uh, next time we discuss everything, yeah. He only gets with it at the very end there, in his <laughs> final waking moments of life. Yeah. Which really sucks, because I, I love Samuel L. Jackson. I and, do, too. Uh, he didn't get his time of day. No. <laughs> okay, well, now... Um, do you want to talk about Clone Army? Yeah. Speak. I, I mean, it is Attack of the Clones, so... It, it definitely is. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, do you think the creation of this plot element was uh, used in a way to kind of like motivate Anakin's intentions as the series went on? Or do you think uh, it was kind of just there as a, as a way to like build the world a little bit? Um, do you think it was, I guess, more a personal thing or more a, uh, a general thing to kind of like uh, progress the, the plot in the prequel trilogy? This is going to sound so, like, contradictory, but I think it's both. I think it's general and personal in the sense of, like, generally, I think it was used for plot in the prequels just so they had something to kind of push everything to, like, the turning point. Um, and it And then it was personal because I think it did have, like, a major effect on Anakin and him turning in episode three with everything but I think um the clone army as a whole in the movies we see um it was um Palpatine's way of just destabilizing the current government which was the republic and using the like chaos to let the empire rise through but I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about the clones army. What What do you think so far? No, yeah, I definitely uh, agree with a lot of what you said there, and how um, through the the kind of detaching of focus of all of what the republic and everything stood for at that point and the senate it kind of allowed the insidious nature of the empire to kind of rise to the ranks we see in in the original trilogy Mm -hmm. and uh yeah no i definitely think it was it was a personal element as well in in getting anakin to kind of get totally rattled from inside out in in this ongoing conflict between galaxy or i mean between planets and everything and and how everything around him was crumbling but also he had the vested interest in his lover and that being the only common ground he could find amongst all the destabilization and everything going on around him Mm -hmm. and 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the clones, in a way, of course, speak to the, the sci-fi and genetic nature that Star Wars kind of presents within this trilogy and how Jango Fett and Boba Fett came out of it and all that stuff. And uh, what we ended up getting in the Clone Wars, we'll see if we'll ever discuss that. Yeah, um, you got to watch it. You gotta... <laughs> I know. I so They had a great it. arc in it about, you know, when you watch episode three and you're like oh my gosh i wish anakin doesn't turn but like you know he like that's the movie like the movie's not gonna change you're kind of hoping for everything uh but that yeah in clone wars there's an arc where one of the clones finds out about their chips in order 66 and the entire arc you're just like oh my god i hope he's able to tell someone i hope they're able to stop it but as we know it, it does not get stopped yeah, you know, I think that's where a lot of the tragedy situates on the prequel trilogy is that you know everything that's to come, and that's why mm-hmm. it makes all the the tension and build up towards that point a lot more sad because you you know how it's gonna turn out, and you just see everything unfold before you. You basically fill in all the blanks that you had in your mind prior to watching it. Um, uh, when when you actually get to it, especially in episode three. Yeah, I just think it's so heartbreaking for the clone army because they were literally created just to fight kind of, I don't know, in like the grand scheme of things, but it kind of was just like, not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a useless war because like Palpatine was able, like he orchestrated the whole thing by like playing both sides, but oh, like an unnecessary, like yeah yeah and and so many so much expense of both human and clone life mm-hmm. at that point that it was all kind of just for naught and that's why it made me think that it was almost a more personal attribution yeah. uh of the war and to get trying to get anakin to rile up to the point where palpatine ultimately had this plan to seize everything under his control and so that that's what throws it back to that perspective in that uh yeah, it really all was pointless, but it was there as this kind of litmus test of, oh, will Anakin cross this boundary? Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, George Lucas had any kind of thought while writing of comparing it to culture, to the current culture or political nature of what was going on? Yeah, in a way, you can almost view it as that because... You know, this was in a post-9-11 era as well. Maybe not when the the second film was being filmed. Um, but in the sense of that all these wars are mm-hmm. pointless in a way when it came to real life. And maybe it was a commentary in a sense on how the clone army kind of dehumanizes a lot of our soldiers in the real world into just becoming nameless grunts that are nothing more than what they're predeterministic destiny kind of entails um i think that it was it it was kind of intentional in the sense that by robbing all the clones of their individualistic identities it's kind of a way of of painting that to the real life affairs of what was going on in the middle east at the times yeah uh, and everything and how we didn't look at it as human lives being lost whether on the civilian or soldier side we were kind of just looking at it as this is a war that is necessary and that's the same way the clone wars are painted in that oh this is all necessary but it's completely robbing the individual fighters of the fact that their lives are 
are valuable in a way. They only exist to further the motives of the people pulling the strings behind the scenes. Yeah, and there's like some talk I've seen where what you said, it kind of eliminates the individuality of all the soldiers and that they are just a group, a blob of just soldiers being used by whoever's in charge. But in Clone Wars, they do get like kind of tattoos and they kind of draw on their armor to like distinguish themselves which just all adds to the heartbreak when like each one dies that you've grown so used to and love and hold dear to you because they do have their own personalities and it's just like that's in real life too like these people are people yeah for sure and i think it what this film proposes most that is an everlasting quality of the prequel trilogy is how the individual lives of these people ended up mattering to us as a third party audience viewing the events rather than the people directly involved because even when uh the order is enacted we we kind of just see these these jedi that have fought alongside them immediately turn on them for no mm-hmm. no other reason than that we're fighting on the good side of history you know and so, yeah, it kind of shows that it's all pointless in the end. And the Attack of the Clones subtitle for this movie was there just to kind of highlight a poignant event in history where everything was being kind of defaced with this, with this notion that everything is necessary, but you'll never realize why why it was exactly that. Yeah, it's so sad. Um... I think another main element, just going back to like Anakin and Padme, but do you think Padme, um, sorry, I'm reading, but do you think Padme has been like brainwashed in any way in her love for Anakin, like either blinded by love or by some other way? Yeah, I I think definitely so. Um, I, I think, uh, not to the extent that he was uh, necessarily trying to manipulate uh, her in a way, um, but I think uh, more so uh, in just that through his uh, negligence and kind of arrogance and going about all of it, um, I, I think he in, unintentionally kind of roped her into something that was beyond her scale, oh, beyond her yeah. understanding, and Anakin didn't realize the permutations of what dragging her into this galactic sort of conquest of of the perceived universe at the time would would entail for their relationship. Because also, even setting aside the large proportions and grandeur of it all, you see that they're both very young and they're not really equipped to tackle these things with fledgling emotions that they're experiencing at the time and the love that they're kind of fostering within each other too. And I think that's even where more of the tragedy lies and how this, the scope of this war and the scope of what Palpatine is trying to uh, mine at here uh, goes beyond just what their teenage romance fantasy could ever sort of provide. Yeah, it's a forbidden love on a whole, whole other level, like, uncomparable, because they are, I mean, after this episode, Anakin's, they get married in secret, you know, R2-D2 and um, 
3PO are the only witnesses, but then Anakin gets pulled away on Jedi business to literally travel the galaxy on this new war, and Padme's in the Senate doing her thing, and I feel like that's not the best kind of situation to be in when you're newly married. Yeah, absolutely. And just... Go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think to a certain extent... uh, Anakin, when he becomes Vader and how he feels all that guilt for everything that transpired, um, he kind of loses sight of of how he was just merely a kid at the time. And of course, you could blame yourself for so much when you finally get to that that moment of hindsight where you could look back and be like, "Oh my God, I could have done so many things different." But I feel like the Vader version of Anakin in that what he loses in terms of insight is that he he merely forgets to mention that he was a kid at the time and he was foolish and uh, manipulated by evil forces beyond his control. And I think that also comes in part of the society we live in too where so many people will beat themselves up over past decisions that Mm -hmm. happen no matter what when you were younger whether it's years before or seconds before and introspection of course aids in healing all of that and Anakin never provides himself with that even when being Vader and I think that's what makes the episode two sort of progression leading into episode three all the more heartbreaking because you see in how all these blunders uh, that Anakin provided to Padme and the downfall of their relationship, you see how they kind of took form and how he continues to beat himself up over it, even though it's years later and how he forever just wants to turn back time and, and, see the world in a different light than what he was forever having to kind of perish in yeah there's kind of an irony to it too just um when in the good old days it's just him and padme on the grassy hills of naboo discussing it but they're kind of discussing kind of politics and why they're in the situation like why padme needs like a protector right now um and Anakin says that for the current government, I don't think he necessarily says dictator, but he says there should be one person in charge just to avoid all this bickering and bureaucracy, bureaucracy whatever, red tape, you know? <laughs> That's a big <laughs> word I, I'm not going to try to pronounce right now. Bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I th- remember Padme kind of was like, and who should that person be? Like you? And Anakin's like, no. Like, I'm not saying it should be me, but it should be somebody. And it just... The irony is, like, he is that person later in the later years as Darth Vader. Him and Palpatine are those people ruling. But it's just, like, at what cost? Like, he lost Padme. And then he has the audacity to call Padme sounding like a separatist. Like, that's a whole other topic of gaslighting, perhaps. (laughs) Of gas? Yeah. Wow. I I never really considered it in that way. Where Palpatine is the fascist sort of dictator in a way. But Vader is the iron fist through which Palpatine rules and controls. Yeah. And, and you know, wow, yeah, that, that's actually a very interesting I just thought about it <laughs> when, yeah, no, when that, you were talking actually, about it. <laughs> <laughs> that actually sheds some light on episode two. And I think I'm coming to a better consideration and appreciation from the, for this film. Because also, I was just thinking while you were talking about that, 
in how Anakin, when he's telling these things to Padme and kind of gaslighting her and making her feel bad for thinking in a more leftist and ideal way of, of, of tackling galactic affairs. Yeah. It also makes you think, because we were talking about how the language that Anakin provides in the uh, I Hate Sand scene, it kind of captures that feeling of being te- a teenager and, and trying to put into words your your inner thoughts just to fill the dead air. But this, this part, in terms of gaslighting her and uh, kind of making her feel bad for how she's thinking uh, against what he thinks is right, it also plays to the, to the virtue of how we feel when we're teenagers and that we're kind of infallible, that we have this God complex, mm-hmm. that we're invulnerable, and that our way of thinking is right against no matter what kind of opposition we face. And I think Anakin was definitely marveling in that in a sense where he was starting to get an idea of the world even if it meant that his significant other didn't agree with it in any sense it kind of lended itself to even uh, an even greater feeling of wow that teenage angst that teenage Mm -hmm. sort of uh, arrogance where we're above any comprehension in a way where what we're having passed through our minds is greater than that of what the next person is having run through their own. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Like I, I I actually really uh, enjoy that idea. Maybe that's probably just my favorite scene in attack of the clones. And that's why it, uh, it feels so good to come to a more resounding conclusion about Yeah, we just had to think about it for a little bit, discuss it, get it so, flowing. Yeah. Because I can't believe I just <laughs> comprehended that. I'm like, I can write an essay on this of just how it's like a whole three sixty or one eighty, I guess. It's I don't even know. But that he turns into like the person who is in charge and who gets to kind of do whatever he wants and his will is the law. I mean, Palpatine is the emperor, but like, you're right. Like Palpatine is ruling through Vader essentially. Yeah, you're right. And I think it makes the arc that we are presented with in episode three, all the more believable when you see in episode two, that Anakin is starting to become or fall prey to mm-hmm. these very hazardous way of ways of thinking and these very toxic ideals of how to run a society and how to command a relationship. And I, I think a commanding presence in a relationship already spells disaster anyway, but Anakin's kind of getting slight samples of that off the platter of fascism that, that Palpatine wants to enact here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, wow, I never really thought about it. Maybe that's the sole redeeming element of Episode 2, aside from C-3PO and R2-D2's uh, <laughs> scene on the uh, droid conveyor belt. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I... that Wow. Yeah, I'm really happy to have uh, thought about that a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was such a good, great mind-blowing revelation that we've had toward the end of this episode. I'm glad we... Ending on a strong note. No, oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I'm just uh, really glad to have come to a, a greater appreciation of this film that I was so... Who would have thought? Uh, yeah, who would have ever thought? And I mean, sure, it's still probably my second to, to worst in my <laughs> list, but at least I could enjoy it for a little more, especially by 
the halfway point in the film where we get to see things that are a bit more resonating in the rest of the trilogy mm-hmm. um, or even the later films as well with Count Dooku's presence and Anakin's sort of sort of maligned ideals and how they take shape in episode three and onwards and how Kylo eventually even adopts those philosophies as oh, yeah, he yeah. starts to rise to power. And we could touch upon that later on. Um, but wow. Yeah. I, I really just thank you for having me and being able to sort through that. It was like finding all these old unwrapped boxes in my mind and peeling apart the packing tape and seeing what, what was what there actually works about yeah. this film that, that we always gave shit to. Yeah, of course. We're, I'll see you next week. You're always welcome back, but... Oh, thanks so much. I'm so glad to know I have a uh, presence on this uh, ship here. Yes, yes. And do you want to plug your socials? Yeah, absolutely. So once again, this has been Dylan Robinson. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Dillweed. But with the weed, instead of two E's throw in two eyes and you make the perfect sandwich that is my username (laughs) and thanks so much for listening to me ramble even when valerie will uh just throw the floor to me on my uh psychotic visions uh and uh yeah i i'm really glad to be here and i hope uh when we get to episode three it'll be even more bombastic and duel of fates fueled than this episode was bombastic you you really <laughs> yes thanks um i like that little yeah no, thanks that was so a nice much. ending yeah, yeah. R- really yeah, like to tap into my th- thesaurus as we end it here yeah i'm really just excited um for episode three we are gonna have me and dylan of course also gonna bring in our friend milan for this whole special episode it'll probably be the best yet yeah, maybe for even sure. for the future as well Mm-hmm. We'll have to see. So that's in the works. And if you enjoyed this, this podcast does have an Instagram too. It's going to be at the at sign Rogue X Space on Instagram. And my personal Instagram is going to be at Valerie Ziesmer. I am now um, on public now. So <laughs> if anyone just did happen to check, I am on public. No need to request. You can just go ahead and follow. I'd appreciate it. Look at that. What a crowd pleaser. I know. I I give it to people what they want. <laughs> no one has said, like, oh my gosh, accept my request. But, you know, I can read their minds. Absolutely. Yeah, so thanks again, Dylan. Thanks so much, Valerie. Uh, it's been fantastic. And I can't wait to get back to you with some Revenge of the Sith next week. Yes, tune in. Please share. Yes, share the news. Share. <laughs> yes. Anywhere you can. Yeah, all platforms. All platforms in the farthest sectors of space. Yeah, printed on flyers, all the way to the outer rims. Outer rims, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going that far. <laughs>